0: Welcome back to Fully Equipped. It's just J. Wall and rb this week. Just the boys. Everyone else I, on the road. I, I don't even know where Gene is. I feel like Gene is that delinquent parent who just like he's here and then he's gone, then he comes back again, then he leaves. So I I don't know where he is. He's he's off somewhere. He's got he's like the guy with two families and the other one's <laughs> a robot. <laughs> oh, Gene. Where'd Dad go? Yeah, he's
1: done with the other one?
0: Uncle Gene is Uncle Gene is gone, spending spending time with his other family, his robotic family. Um, yeah, and Chris is is doing fittings again. Big surprise there. So we'll get him back on the pod next week. Not a not a lot to talk about this week. There wasn't anything going on. I mean, Ryder Cup. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that listen. We always say that. Yeah, the, the Ryder Cup. I gotta say, so I'll I'll admit this. Uh, my wife, she's like the most Type A. She's in finance, like super smart. But she, her, her like guilty pleasure is the Real Housewives shows. It, it, Arby's laughing. It, they, they're terrible. I watch them sometimes because I just love, I love the chaos. And I don't know if it's real or if it's if it's like just faked. But it's pretty cool to watch sometimes. Anyway. I would say that last week at the Ryder Cup was the closest thing to Real Housewives that I've ever seen. It was it was spectacular. I mean, we could spend a whole pod. This is a gear pod, so we won't. But we could spend an entire pod breaking down what the hell happened last week. And that I, I mean, a lot of it didn't even happen on the golf course, RB.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there was so much about it on like Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, um, like The idea of like what it means to be like have leadership and, you know, there was decisions made and all these different things. And I, I just, I find that I used to be someone who like didn't think that it was like a big deal. And now I'm, you know, I think so much about as someone who like did not present and didn't like public speaking and didn't like when I was younger. And then having to kind of turn that around and be someone who has to embrace it and stand in front of people and present and talk and speak well and and do my best to speak well, at least there's such a difference in tone between like Luke and Zach that it was like shocking. To me, it was it was completely shocking. And given the amount of time that he had to prepare
0: and all these different things. Was it really shocking though? Like I I expected a little more. Really? See, I didn't expect much, if anything, from Zach Johnson. And I think I said this on a previous pod. He he did not he did not give off the vibes of a somebody who was in control and who was who was a leader.
1: And I, I mean the only other time I've ever been in, like actually been to an event like this was the Presidents Cup years ago in, Mont- in Royal Montreal, and the captains at the time were Jack Nicholas and Gary Player. And Gary got up there and Gary's Gary, and he just gets the crowd pumped up He tells them what they want to hear. Rule oh, 12 Canadians, blah, 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 and like all this stuff. And he's just like this ball of excitement. And then Jack gets up there and it's kind of like, huh? and You know, it's, just, it's kind of this weird thing, right? Like public speaking is a skill and being able to, to show a leadership style is a skill. And again, I don't have a background in this. I have people close to me that have a very <laughs> big background in this and from an educational perspective. And, but I always kind of like, it doesn't really matter that much, but you realize how important it is just from, even just the outside perception of what an organization looks like is what the leadership presents to people outside of it. And from what we saw with from Zach and Luke as a, as a comparison, it was completely different. And even like Thursday night or Friday afternoon, whatever it was, you're kind of just like, I don't think they got a freaking chance. And it kind of went exactly as I expected.
0: Yeah. I I think what really did it for me was the U.S. tries to stage a comeback on Sunday. And you just think about, like, if, if they would have just played at, like, 50% of their capability over the first two days, I think they win it.
1: They had a better
0: but team, like they legitimately. They had did. A better they team did, and play, that's like that's so. that's the frustrating thing. And and again, we'll, we'll, I want to talk more about the gear side of the Ryder Cup than than what went on. But when you when you have that much talent on a team, and you're from one country, and you're going against Europe, which is nine different countries, I believe, and different different languages, uh, you know, it, it, just it's shocking to me. That the U.S. hasn't won on foreign soil since, what, like the 80s? I mean, it's, yeah. That was it's, 90,
1: I it's, it's been 30 years now or something like yeah, that. It's it's been, it's been,
0: yeah, it's been, yeah, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. Let's just put it that way. It is unacceptable <laughs> that it's been that long. You have so much talent on that team. You should win. Um, now, I can't wait until Beth Page. Because oh, it's, going to be a zoo. You, it's like you I honestly, it's like I don't. I would not oh want to go to that.
1: To be honest, it's not something that I, w- I would ever actually like. I think that I would enjoy <laughs> as a fan.
0: Strong Strong Island is going to be well represented at Bethpage. They are going to let the Europeans have it. Uh, anyway, I can't wait to see that. But the Ryder Cup was fun. Congrats to Europe on the win. It shouldn't have happened. US should have won. But again, Zach Johnson's your captain. What do you expect? Um, anyway, some changes last week on the on the gear front, and I got to say. I'm a little bit surprised that guys decide to make gear changes the week of the Ryder Cup. It, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I'm, maybe I'm off here, but it's just. I think it goes two ways though.
1: I think it goes two ways. Okay. Because we have so much technology now. And again, I'm not like, I. okay, I'm a decent player and I can switch gear a lot. And I don't, and because it's all fit to me or I build it myself. I don't notice a huge difference. Like, you know, iron, like dialing in iron distances and stuff can be like a little tricky sometimes, but it's not like I go out and try a new driver and I'll be like, I don't I don't know, like it, it's doing one thing or the other. Like, they generally kind of do the same thing. And I feel like these guys are so tuned that there is a place where they're just like, oh, I, you know, I can go back to that and, and not have an issue. It's not like, and I'm, I'm not a baseball guy, but like I think of baseball and I don't like, you see like those guys with like the old myths and they're just so beat. And they just don't want to change. And I'm like, does it really matter? Like, I understand from like a superstition or whatever it happens to be, but I guess I mean again, it's a lot different than like you know 20 years ago. I guess yeah, it's almost 20 years ago now, where Phil would Phil showed up with like a whole new bag, like new bag, everything will ever different. top that. By the way, new golf ball, like the
0: whole bit was like in insane. nine days he switches. Yeah. He was a Titleist staffer. He signs a deal with Callaway at the 2004 Ryder Cup and in 9 days he completely overhauls his bag. I if I was just one of his teammates and I know a lot of guys were just absolutely pissed, I I, I still wouldn't I still wouldn't forgive Phil for doing that.
1: Even um, I think it was it was a Daniel Rapport tweet like um, he sent out a thing and it was like could you imagine if, if Twitter existed when like the 2004 Ryder cup happened or like earlier Ryder cups mm-hmm. and Johnny wonder from Callaway. So give him credit. He like took one of the there. He said, listen, the look of tiger when he looked out, when Phil hit that ball, so out of bounds, where he was just like squinting. He said, that would have been me <laughs> to the century. Oh yeah. I was like, that's really good. Actually. That's really funny. Cause he's yeah. kind of like, he doesn't want to say anything. Cause like, you know, he's just like looking like really odd. And he's like, he knows it's gone. It's like, it's like when your buddy hits one way out of bounds and you're like, oh, did you see where it went? And I was like, oh, I lost it. I lost it. Yeah, yeah. It's somewhere out there. It's it's freaking gone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I do feel like the changes, the big ones that were made last week, just smacked of desperation. At least two of them did. You had Scotty Scheffler. He's now working with Phil Kenyon, which I think is going to make a big difference. But he switches back to his old Scotty Cameron super rat one putter. And people were asking like, is this a new putter? What, what, what's the deal with this? And it's, I think because social media is around and, and, recency bias is, is so big when it comes to gear, everybody knows like the last thing a guy switched to. They, a lot of people didn't realize that Scotty used this super rat one when he earned his tour card back in 2019. So this is this is a putter he's had success with in the past. He adds a Super Strokes Energy Tour 2.0, so a larger grip, and that was direct feedback from Phil Kenyon, and we've discussed it before. Larger grips, if you're somebody who gets too handsy in your stroke, larger grip like the the Tour 2.0 is a great way to. Um, Going larger is going to help quiet the hands. So you're not going to be able to, to move your hands as much during the stroke. And it's going to engage what I call the larger muscles. So your, your chest and your shoulders. And it's going to allow you to have more of a pendulum swing. And that should hopefully, if, if you're doing it correctly, it should help smooth out your stroke and make you a bit more consistent. Um, but again, Scheffler has been struggling mightily with the putter for, and for a guy that's been absolute nails throughout the rest of his bag it's just it's the one club that he can't figure out so he was one guy who switched putters um again i, I felt felt like that was more of a desperation play morikawa kind of similar and he was it was a weird one rb because he was already using um an la golf the graphite shaft but through his work with his instructor steven sweeney they decided to go to a, a lighter version, 20 grams lighter, which is, that's a lot of weight to, to shed from a putter shaft. And they go to the lighter one because from, and this is just from Stephen's insights, he felt like that when Colin was putting with the heavier shaft that he couldn't feel the head. And so that the heavier weight of that shaft was, was having a negative effect. On on his putter head, I think
1: the the graphite thing is really cool because we talked about in the past is uh, unlike steel, graphite is not homogeneous. You can put all kinds of different layers, you can change the balance point, you can do a lot of like really unique things with graphite that you cannot do with steel. And to be able to just shed like 20 grams and potentially leave the balance point exactly where it was or lower it to make the head feel heavier, that is the one thing with, with heavier graphite shafts in general, is the more mass you put like the thicker the walls like to get something doesn't mean that has to be stiffer to be thicker because like there's 60 gram driver shafts that are extremely stiff but to have that amount of layers you you potentially reduce feedback because they're those layers are just absorbing vibrations with graphite which is help which helps for a lot of people but in a putt in a putter or in a putting situation some people want that feedback a little more and you get it with a stiffer shaft. So there's the, there's like this this pull and give and take, I guess, really when it comes to the putter shaft. But to have them do a, like a one-off like that is actually pretty interesting. And I think, again, he's he's someone who, when he does putt well, he's, it's, he's incredible. Like it, it's ball striking really doesn't change and his driving's quite good as well. But as far as his, his putting is concerned, I think it is the one thing where um, I know he's, he's been working on. It. And, and you know what, credit to even like last week for people who, who haven't had a chance to check it out yet, the Parker McLaughlin interview. Like I listened to it because I got to, I I wasn't there but I got to listen to it and uh, you know we talked about just like working with tour players and and Parker or Colin is someone I know Parker works with so yeah. um, it is uh it is something where if you haven't listened to it go back and let's check that out people out there uh, I know it's a busy week with Ryder Cup and all kinds of stuff but uh, that's one thing for sure to take go check out but to just have him go through that process of like fine tuning a feel and all the things so things Colin doesn't like we know is like olive pants from Adidas. And, uh, and heavier graphite putter shafts. So, you know, he's just, he's just slowly. And right now, apparently carbon face driver. So he's just, he likes whatever that is, but something about that super shallow low spin OG sim head just works for him. So yeah, he doesn't like changes driver. He doesn't like all the fans and he doesn't like a heavy graphite putter shaft.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned, that was a total one-off. He, he worked directly with Mitsubishi on their Diamana shaft. So it's a lighter weight version of, the uh, Mitsubishi confirmed it was a, around 105 grams on Collins shaft. So that's pretty cool. That's, yeah, it is. It is really cool. And they, it's still the same graphics. So if you have a retail version of the, the diamana putter shaft, they look completely, they look the same, but just Collins is different. And of course, everybody picks up on that and they say, ah, here we go again, bros. They get all the stuff that, that the regular golfers can't have. And, um, you know, then everybody's talking about bifurcation, and and then it turns into discussions about the golf ball rollback and uh, lot of local rule golf ball. It, it's just funny how anytime a pro uses a one off product, that's the first thing that everybody wants to, to latch on to is that they can't get it at retail. But we've talked about that before, we're not going to talk about it again. But, um, RB, the, there's did, one more
1: thing about I will say one more thing on the Ryder Cup if we're going to touch on that really quick. Are we going to? Well, I also want to talk
0: about. Kepka too. So we, okay, we'll yeah, still yeah, stay on the Ryder Let's
1: check on that first.
0: Yeah. So Kepka, well, I wanted to mention it because you said that Morikawa is still using a tailor-made SIM. OG OG SIM. And Kepka, the week prior to the Ryder Cup at the live event in Chicago, added a tailor-made SIM 2 driver to the bag. So removes the, the Shrixon ZX-5 LS MK2 and goes back to a, a SIM 2 driver Okay, <laughs> it does make me wonder. As as you, I know you were joking when you said it about the carbon face, but we we now have two big names that have switched back to the last the last driver. Kepka did. It's the last driver that TaylorMade created that had a titanium face. And like, is there anything there? Do you read into that at all? And no. It, no. it, it just it, maybe it's just the timing of it and i know more has been using that driver so it's not a new thing but when you have a guy who's who's a big name and then you have another big name who switches drivers and he goes back to the last one before they went to carbon i don't know it makes you wonder
1: i think the one the one person like anytime someone mentions this and look i'm not going to say that like you know some people like it some people don't that's fine like you can you can pick a side of that argument that's cool um but when people talk about, oh, they they break or they do this or they do that or they just don't like it or something like that, uh, the person that I always reference in this in this discussion is Drew Cooper. And if you're not paying attention, go check out Drew Cooper on Instagram. Just type in his name. He's a big, tall dude. Uh, I look like a tiny – I got to work with him uh, one time when I worked at uh, TXG, came into Toronto. Um, I look like a child standing next to Drew. Drew is a very tall, large – he looks like a big baseball player. Um and he swings the golf. He swings his driver at over over 130. He's close. He's closed in on like 150 before. He's like he's competed a little bit in long drive. He's got the most effortless golf swing you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, and he uses a carbon phase driver. And the guys in the PGA Tour are not swinging as fast as Drew. Like they're not even close. Like they're not in the same ballpark. It is insane. Um, even the fastest players on tour are not up to Drew's like kind of just game speed, I guess. Um, and to say that oh like the head explodes or whatever I'm like honestly you got like you're you're blowing this way out of proportion it really just comes down to especially for Colin who's someone who is um, he's a fader of the golf ball so he spins it a little bit more um, the sim just is extremely low spin and it just gives him the start line that he wants like that's all it really comes down to it's just a fitting thing and you know when you're comfortable with something and the sim the other thing too, with the sim and even the sim too like they have a little different feel compared to other drivers that came before them. And afterwards, like I went out and I tried my, I still got an OG SIM and I hit it compared to new product, including the, the carbon face driver. And I'm like, it feels firm. Like I, I mean, it performs, the numbers are great, but to me, the, the feeling is like now that I've had something else, even though I did gain that driver, I'm like, I ah, just, there's something about it. it just feels really firm and I don't really necessarily prefer it. But if you're someone who likes that driver to go to something else again, that's way harder. So like, He's got a TaylorMade hat on, or Adidas hat with TaylorMade on the side. Like they don't really care. They don't. They care a lot, but they don't care as much if the guy's playing well. And I think that's that's really the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the other guys in the last week at the Ryder Cup, I mean Rory is still using. I mean, he's using a Stealthy driver, and he had the most points last week at the Ryder Cup. Who hit the? I mean, basically the deciding shot of the Ryder Cup. Tommy Fleetwood. When he flies the green with a TaylorMade Stealth Two Plus driver, so it is. It is a great product, but again, it does make you wonder sometimes when you see these guys going back to older product. But I agree with you. I think there are very specific reasons for why guys like Mike Morikawa and you know Brooks is not. He's not tied to to TaylorMade. I mean, he's a Cleveland Schrickson guy. So that's that's another discussion there, but. That is a driver he's won with in the past. He won the 2021 Phoenix Open with it. Uh, it's the second time, and basically the the last year that he's used the TaylorMade driver. Before that, it was the M5 driver that he used to win a bunch of majors. Yeah. So, yeah, there there are a lot of reasons why guys will switch back to old product, especially when they've had again they've had success with it in the past. It's difficult to get away from that, especially when the driver in particular is is not going like it like they want it to. Uh, anyway. All right, a couple more things, and then we're going to get to this week's interview with Sal Syed, who's the uh, CEO and co founder for Arcos. Lexi Thompson is going to be. Before we get to Lexi,
1: I want to touch on one more thing from the Ryder Cup.
0: Yes, go for it. Really quickly.
1: All right. And that is, you know, we talk about all this gear that people change, but the one thing almost nobody changed going to the Mm Ryder Cup was their grips. Because they had, and I believe, we'll we'll say this is an editorialization because I'm not 100% certain on everything, on the exact number, but I believe that 11 out of 12 players on both teams played a um, a golf pride grip. So we had of the 24 players, 22 of those players in the Ryder Cup were using a golf pride grip. And golf pride is a proud supporter of fully equipped because golf pride knows that a grip isn't just a grip. It is the only connection that you have between you and your golf club. And that matters. You talk so much about fitting and when you have the right texture, the right shape, the right taper, even, you know, it comes down sometimes even to the right weight when you are changing sizes and you're and you're going through that, that when you do have the right grip and you are comfortably gripping the golf club, not only do you swing it more confidently, but you swing it faster, which helps produce more distance. And along with that, you're able to play longer, practice longer because you have something that is more comfortable, which I think is always key, right? If you wanna go play 36 holes, you want a comfy pair of shoes, you wanna go play 36 holes, you better have some grips that are comfortable as well. And comfort, when it comes to comfortable grips, there's grips like the CPX and the CP2, which are softer options. The CPX is the softest performance grip Golf Pride has ever created and uses variable texture, to help reduce vibration that go to your hands. Now, if you're someone who wants ultimate feedback, like a lot of players at the Ryder Cup last week, the MCC, the Z-Grip, the Tour Velvet, those are all grips that offer all-weather performance. They are a little bit firmer, and they're gonna give you the, the traction that you're gonna look for in the style that you want. Now we know we talked a lot about putting as well, and don't forget, Golf Pride has a lot of putter grips as well, so you can go to golfpride.com, use code Fully Equipped, that is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, and get free shipping on your next order, that's available for all customers in the United States, and there's no minimum purchase required. So if you wanna just get a couple grips and try them out, or you wanna just load up for your full set and set for your friend as well, head over to Golf Pride, use code Fully Equipped, and get yourself some grips today. Thanks for the support.
0: Here we go. Thank you, RB, for doing that. As I'm just ripping on to the next topic, Lexi Thompson, she's going to be playing at a PGA Tour event. and I love this. For those who weren't listening to the last couple episodes, we just like briefly discussed how the tours changed the way that they uh, dish out points for the FedEx Cup. So the, the way they used to do it when Napa started, you could accumulate points and you know just roll right into january and the points you made during the fall part of the season counted just the same as during you know basically the main part of the season january until until august and now that's no longer the case so guys are, are basically jockeying for positioning for the big events once the calendar turns to january and you know, you've got a lot of the big names who admitted even before the Ryder Cup, like I'm going to shut it down. You may not see me until January, <laughs> and you're wondering, like, well, what the hell are you supposed to do with these events? This is a great opportunity, I, I feel, to to drum up some interest in some tour events that just don't receive the the eyeballs that they probably wish they could. And a lot of that has to do with their their fighting against the ML, MLB playoffs right now and in the NFL which is an absolute juggernaut. And so why not like let Lexi Thompson play in a PGA tour event. She's the first LPGA golfer to play in a PGA tour event since 2018 when, uh, Brittany Lintacombe played the Barbasol. So That's it's right. been a little yeah, while. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I it's think been a little was, while. She was pretty
1: close to make a cut as well. Actually. I think, um, yeah, I know Annika was always off by one, one shot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I booked a plane ticket to Vegas, anyways. Um, yeah, to, you're gonna you know, see you there You go see what's what's up when it comes to, to gear because I know a lot of, of players are kind of switching in and out, kind of getting ready for next year and stuff like that. It's always a good spot. The weather's great, it's easy to have access to the range and all that stuff. It is it is a well very well run event. So uh, excited for that. And then I got I got this thing saw it on again saw it on Twitter this morning and I was like, well, this <laughs> my trip to Vegas just got a lot more interesting. Um, yeah. it's it usually draws a lot of. Uh, uh, like sports stars that are there, which I think is like think people don't really realize a lot of times. Like it is a very busy event just in general, as far as like pro ams, because it's in Vegas and there's lots of parties and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but it, I think, again, it's, I, don't, I have no issue with it. You know, I think anyone that does, like, you gotta remember. Go, Golf is an entertainment product. You know, we could rip on the commercials for 40 minutes about the Ryder Cup last week, right? Like it's an entertainment product designed to bring people in. And if you can create something that is that is interesting, that is relevant, I think it's important. You know, she did play very well. Like, look, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not gonna go on a limb and be like, you know, I'm the biggest Lexi fan of all time. But like she played, she well, has been struggling and she played really well uh, at the Soul Hand Cup, which I think was really important. Yes, and everyone gave her hell for the, the chip and all that stuff and the response and everything like that. Um, which again, it's somewhat justified, but the idea of bringing attention to an event that doesn't get as much attention, I think is just as crucial for the PGA tour as it is for any other event. And I think, you know, this, this will go a long way. And as well, you know, the people who are like, Oh, they take, take a spot away or whatever. Like, I think I still I'll think screw it's really that. cool. Yeah. Screw it. It's I don't really care. Cool. Like I, yeah, I yeah. I'm not even going to like justify the argument because I do not care about it. But like, I know as someone who has, like, my wife plays golf. my Like, my oldest daughter, like, likes watching it a little bit. Even my youngest knows, like, when golf's on TV, she sees the TV on the weekends. She goes, golf, golf, which I think is really funny. Um, to just see, like, a, a, see a female playing golf on television is great. And then she's going to get lots of coverage, and I think that's perfect. I don't, yeah. I, I have no qualms about it at all. And as far as gears, is, as uh, I know you mentioned before we got on here, she's not one to change like she's got these like what is
0: it the s2 forged iron she forged. might have the oldest irons in the bag yeah during, like, during Shriner's week she might' those s2 we, forged were released in 2009
1: I was I remember selling those in golf retail like going back like that's <laughs> how far that's how old they are is and they were a good iron they were like one of the very first and I think we've actually talked about these irons in the past is they were one of the very first strong lofted forged irons and Cobra, Cobra kind of revolutionized with the OS irons, strong lofted irons, and, every, and everyone kind of jumped on that bandwagon because that was a very popular iron in the '80s and uh, or late 80s, early 90s, or mid-90s, I guess. But the the S2 was like, we're going to make a 44 degree pitching wedge on a forged golf club, have them look nice and clean, nice and square lines, or a little big, like a mid-sized cavity back, and... They, I mean, they did. They performed very well. Again, they're, they're not going to take as much market share as a lot of other irons. But for those who wanted distance or needed it, it was a great iron. And I think for Lexi, someone who's steep, we see that in her golf swing. She, she, uh, she probably spins the golf ball a little bit. That's a, it's a great iron for. Her. And that, why would you switch?
0: Yeah, I've taken pictures of them even as last year. I think during the during the event here in the Dallas Worth area, I took pictures of them. They are old. Uh, again, yeah, uh, we. That's the one question we always get is is when should I change out and then fill in the blank for whatever golf club it is and irons. I, I tell people all the time, if you don't play a ton, but you play golf regularly, you can use the same set of irons for 10 years. Until and they wear out, go. basically. Yeah, until, basically yeah. until they wear out and and then just look at the grooves. I mean, the ones that are going to go first are likely going to be the wedges. Just do the, the fingernail test for those that don't know. Just run your fingernail down your grooves and they should catch your nail should catch on each groove. And if you get to the point where they're just sliding down the face, I mean, you'll notice it. You're going to start yep. to dime out a spot on your wedge. And once you get that spot and it starts to, those grooves start to look like they're just like melting together. Then, you know, it's time for, for new irons. Yeah. Or you could just buy a, buy a fresh pitching wedge. But anyway, yeah, she'll, she'll probably have the oldest set irons in the bag. She's still using the, the Cobra, the King LTD with the, with the spaceport, the fairway wood. Oh Yeah yeah of the you yeah. could
1: not get rid of for a long time yeah, yeah. I mean, a it's, good, a, it's it a great pictures
0: yeah it it's what they did pictures rb when you're in when you're in vegas of her i'm gonna try i'll
1: i'll send them i'll send the cobra team a message and see if i can uh, get get a few minutes with just the golf bag um yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see that and i think XC funny shout out to like the i won't mention his name because i didn't say anything about it but uh you know we talk about old irons i actually just go check on my instagram uh I recently got rid of a set of Adam CMBs that I held very close I am to shocked heart. you
0: got rid of those, dude.
1: Someone asked me someone asked me if I was if I was willing to part with them. We uh we discussed, we had a discussion about them. And I said, you know what, they they deserve to be used. Cause he sent me a picture of his old ones and they were they were beat up. And I said, you know what? Let, let them go to a new home, let them find beautiful fair ways to go go be used on. Um and you know, I'm not I okay, I got a lot of gear and there's a lot of stuff that I'm never getting rid of. So hey, don't if I post a picture of something, it doesn't mean I'm selling it, okay? Um, <laughs> But, you know, it is, there, there are things when it's sometimes I'm just like, you know what, it's okay to like have, let it go. I got to own it. it was, I got to hit golf clubs with it. And, uh, that's a great example of like, again, a beautiful set of irons that, uh, you know, it's going to get used at some point. And I think that's, uh, it's probably better than sitting in the underneath my bench at some at whatever, but, uh, yeah, you can use old irons forever. I get old sets. I get old sets. I go out and play with all the time. So, uh, if you got a set and you like them, stick with them
0: very briefly before we get to the interview. There was a story, and it it flew under the radar because it wasn't it wasn't something that happened here in the U.S. But launch technologies, uh, launch technologies company, which makes one fifth of the world's golf balls <laughs> uh, for TaylorMade and Callaway and Bridgestone, uh, they have golf balls that are made there. They had a massive explosion at their plant over in Taiwan, and a lot of it had to do because they were. They're doing things they, they shouldn't have been doing. So uh, from the story that the AP wrote, the the limit that they're supposed to have on organic peroxides is 100 tons. And it's supposed to be stored in a separate warehouse. And these organic uh, peroxides are used to, to help make the golf ball materials. They had 3,000 tons. That's of organic no, that's peroxides, good. and not only did they have three thousand, which is just a little bit above the one hundred ton limit, but all the material was being kept on the first floor of their factory building.
1: it's it almost reminds me of that. I um, know it was out in the Middle East where that the the, the fertilizer plant like when and it like it it, it decimated like an entire neighborhood. Um, it's, it's not good. I'm not condoning anything that like happened. Um, you know, it is, it is a story as far as, and people died. Like, that's the thing. Like people died. Like, um, and so, you know, and when, when we talk about like visiting places here in North America, I I mean, I'm in Canada, like we've seen the Titleist ball plant before, like, it's amazing the way that like materials are stored. Like I've seen it, like, it's, you know, like the way that the mixers work for materials and they go into are basically the same, grade as like medical equipment because of the materials that are going together, the the processes, the, the heat, all of these things like actually create these polymers. It's not just like a tire. And I know tires on cars is very um, complicated as well, but all of those things that go together to actually make a golf ball and make the core and make them colored and do all these things. um, People are serious about, about safety. And it goes to show that like, you know, it's not, uh, (laughs) I'm sure. And I'm sure again, same thing. I'm sure there's, there's factories where, you know, there's big forging presses coming down with a lot of force. Uh, it's not a, it's not a safe place to work necessarily. People can be safety and their safety equipment and everything, but it's not necessarily a, a safe place all the time to be around. Um, and, but you know, it's from a, from a business perspective to know that, you know, the, the entire share of golf balls manufacturing went from a hundred percent to 80% overnight. Um, this could put a, a, I mean, they already bought the materials, the materials are there, but they're gone now. But uh, to think that what that means for people have asked about, you know, what does it mean for supply chain for certain companies, they make golf balls for Top Golf, right? Like they embedded the chips in Top Golf and did all that stuff. So it is it is an interesting one. I think it, it's uh, like we're going to see just like there was, you know, counterfeit crackdowns on counterfeiting in the early 2000s when it was, it seemed like it was rampant. Uh, over in Asia, I think, you know, in launch technologies was find a bunch the AP store. AP had a bunch of stories of like air quality consumer or not consumer, customer or customer um, employee safety that they were not following as far as guidelines for all kinds of different things, um, which they had been fined for. So I think for a lot of companies like this is a little bit of a wake up call as far as, you know. Who you work with and, and who you're what you're paying for and all these different things because it's gonna it's gonna create a dent for sure and i think just not just from a you know not just from a, a a business perspective but from an actual industry perspective which i think is, is a good thing
0: yeah it's gonna it's gonna increase i i would think it would increase the price of golf balls at least for some of these models and that was the one question people wanted to know is, is which which golf balls were included i if you're somebody who plays the the higher end stuff, I don't think you need to worry about it. You know, Titleist wasn't on this list. Titleist makes their golf balls in Massachusetts. Callaway's Chrome Soft golf balls, the, the, a lot of their higher end product is is made in their Chicopee plant, in, which is also in Massachusetts. TaylorMade with TP Five is is down in Liberty, South Carolina. So, and you know, Bridgestone, same deal. A lot of their a lot of their really high end, their higher end golf balls, premium balls, are are made there. Yeah. In
1: but I think Bridgestone and Strixon is all out of, uh, I believe a lot of stuff is out of Japan. Um, yep. and then they do have the, the plant in Georgia as well. They do. They, yeah. Cause, do cause even Bryson
0: would Bryson would go there when he was on staff with Bridgestone, you know, he would make yeah. trips down to the, down to the ball plant. So, and I've been there, it's actually attached to their headquarters, which is kind of cool. Like the tire headquarters. No, the one, the, the Bridgestone, the golf ball in, in Covington.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You can, like, you can, <laughs> Yeah, like you can walk in track? the front. Yeah, you can walk right, in. You and, I need to see this now. Yeah, they've got they've got an area to to do testing, and then you can also. I mean, they've got an area there where you can you can walk in and, and see the balls being balls being made, which is really neat. Anyway, it's unfortunate, but it's you know it's kind of where we are now, and it's going to affect the the golf ball supply chain. I agree with you. I think we're going to start to see more counterfeit golf balls, which is really unfortunate. Anyway. All right. Well, let's get into this week's interview. As I mentioned, we have Sal Syed. He is the CEO and co-founder of Arcos. We've Been trying to get Sal on for, for a hot minute and finally had a chance to interview RB and I. We, we did a tag team interview, which is not something we've been able to do a whole lot of just due to our schedules. But we had a chance to ask Sal about the rise of Arcos, why so many OEMs have embraced the tech and what's coming down the pipeline. It's a fun interview. Enjoy it. One of the best things to come out of this incredible rise in technology that we've seen throughout the golf space in the last decade plus would be the massive changes to the way golfers track the shots and consume data from the rounds. And it's not a stretch to say that our next guest was at the forefront of this seismic shift. That would be our co-CEO and co-founder, Sal Syed. Sal, welcome to Fully Quick, yeah. and Thanks for joining us today.
2: Ryan Jonathan thank you so much thank you for having
0: me so so let's start off with a little bit of a of a get to know you for, for those who might not know Arcos's background can you offer up a brief overview of how the company got started
2: sure um so I would start with maybe my background I I loved golf growing up uh, passionate golfer even though I played college tennis uh, to my uh first love outside of human beings i I keep my wife and daughter out of it it was golf and uh and then when i was going to business school at yale um along with a couple founders co-founders so it was like three of us were co-founders we came up with um this you know thought where as we were golfing it was clear like nobody was really understanding why we're shooting a certain score. Like when you shoot a 74 or an 84 or 94 or 104, nobody could tell me what the difference between those scores is. Why, what happens when you go, when we improve by 10 shots, it's not just you became a better putter all of a sudden, what's that difference? And nobody was quantifying it. And I said, that was kind of like maybe the germ of the idea. And, and then um, I, I I started personally um, tracking my data manually. And um, I was recording how many pots I took, how many fairways I had. Um, that, that was the only thing I would track manually. And I wasn't improving. Uh, my game wasn't getting better. And it made me like, you know, with my data background, I realized, you know, there's, while I'm recording the data, I didn't know if I was recording the right data. Um, Cause you can record the wrong data, analyze the wrong data and get to wrong conclusions. And that's what I was doing honestly to start. Um, I was recording how many putts I had and I had would have invariably like 36, 38, 40 putts. And I thought putting was my problem. Um, And then as Arco started evolving, uh, as we started realizing, you know, like we, be, those are maybe um, stats that are too simple to record that don't give you the answer. We should record the location of every shot you hit. And maybe there'll be insights based on that because uh, so, bit intuition, we can say like a two putt from two feet is bad, but a two feet putt from a hundred feet is pretty awesome. Um, and if you're just recording a number of putts, it doesn't like the two two putt will look like a two putt when they're not all the same. So that was kind of maybe like the first intuition that got us to you know we got to track in more detail what's actually happening on the golf course to get to the right answers. Um, well, I mean, I've said a lot. I'll stop, but I'll, I can keep going if you want me to.
0: Well, uh, the next question for you was: I know that there are other shot tracking devices out there, but but what separates your tech from from the others in the marketplace?
2: I think, um, in my opinion, it's maybe the separation is the fact um, that everybody at Arcos is passionate about golf and technology Um, so we build stuff that we know is helping ourselves a very it's a very authentic golf culture and i believe that is a separator and differentiator for us which shows in the product so like what does that do like why people like that why do they make a difference in the product it's because we build products that we know real golfers will use and it will really help you get better and so i would say our differentiators as a result of that culture are we provide the best um, system out there to automatically capture your shots. It's the most seamless, most advanced shot recording system, but we're also the most advanced um, data analysis system. So once we record those shots, because we've recorded 750 million shots, we're able to create benchmarks and really analyze this data correctly. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and um, I would say a lot of money into making sure the analysis is done correctly. And so what we can uniquely do is not only capture the most seamlessly, but also analyze in the most depth, and the most detail to give you actual things that you need to work on based on real data and real analysis. So those are two, at a high level, huge differentiators for us.
1: Now, uh,
2: I guess the next, from that
1: differentiation perspective, like you talked about, you know, right, right from the get-go, tracking putts is something where, you know, it's it's not... Super functional, right? Like you know, as you said, and I like that idea. The that two put from 100 feet is fantastic. Two two from two feet, not so good. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel that you can offer, and how it's how how the data is improving even more now? As as you you have all these shots mm-hmm. over 750 million shots, yeah, to help golfers deli- and deliver even more specific information to help them improve. Because I know for myself as a user of the system, like. As the data has gotten more specific to my game, I can go out and say, okay, like, you know, my approach on par fours stinks. Par fives, I, I don't struggle mm-hmm. with. And why mm-hmm. is that, right? So, how do you feel that the data is getting even more specific? Yeah. I mean, so it's a great help question. Target golfers.
2: Yeah, great question. So, I'll say a few things. One, um, we're in the first inning of where this data is going to lead us. Um, or maybe like foundational hypothesis is the most important data in golf is your on course performance data. The data of you actually playing the game, because in the end, I mean, there was like uh, part of the reason I um, like co-founded Arcos was I came across this survey by the National Golf Foundation, which said eighty-four percent of golfers play golf to get better at golf. Um, that made me realize that wasn't unique, and then also made me realize what about the other sixteen percent? What are they doing? But like leave that as it may. Um, the the point I was making is this the what these insights that are going to be delivered are going to really i would say accelerate over the next 4 or 5 years and today they're they're still like like i would say light years ahead of where um, golf analysis was only 10 years ago um, and i'll give you like a couple of personal examples um, i mentioned like putting was we using strokes gained, which now pga tour players use strokes scan for understanding what they need to work on um, you're able to pinpoint what, even like within putting, like do you what parts, what what distances are you struggling from? Because then you can go practice that. Similarly, the other thing that's like really I would say eye opening is uh, most golfers play to their best instead of their average. So when they're picking clubs, um, they're picking their best shot, like because like the way the brain works is you remember your best and your worst shots. You don't remember your average shots. Similar to you don't remember your average drive to and from work for the people who still go to work. Um, if I ask you like, hey, last Wednesday, describe your drive to work. Um, you won't remember it unless there was an exceptional, like you saw an accident or something crazy happen because the way the brain processes information when you go to sleep is it moves stuff that's exceptional and maybe uh, you need to access it to for survival into an easier to access place versus the average outcomes get compressed into... Uh, deeper parts of the brain where it's harder to access it. So so what we're able to do is, and that creates like a cognitive bias that's like well-researched among humans where um, we over, like we, basically like exceptional events, we overvalue. So the best shots we uh, play to, like I'm going to hit my five iron 190, uh, but that happens maybe one out of 10 times. Uh, but once you start seeing once the average Arcos user starts seeing, like, you know, my average five iron goes 178. Um, it starts making you put your ball closer to the hole um more often. Um, and those are like some of the absolute like early things in terms of where the data is gonna lead us, um, where it's headed. I mean, I can't honestly I can't even begin to predict where it's gonna head because stuff's moving so fast. You can see how fast Chad GPTs come around. Um and kind of taken over or like large language models. So there's so much innovation happening on the data front. And what we're very good at at Arcos is we stay abreast and we're able to apply all the latest research and breakthroughs that are happening in the field of data science and sensors to benefit golfers. And that's what we're going to continue doing.
1: Yeah, I I actually think of like an example that you use there, uh, Lou Stagner. Uh, mm-hmm. Who we t- I mean, we talked to actually not too long ago. He mentioned uh, he just posted something on Twitter not too long ago. It was like for the average five handicap to shoot under par, the golf course would have to be like. 2000 yards long based on the, based on their averages. Right. Cause yeah. you remember the averages versus based on like, yeah, I hit everything inside a hundred yards. I hit to like 10 feet. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to change your expectations very, very quickly. Uh, which again, that's, I, that's why I like using it. Cause you know, keeps me, uh, keeps me centered. Let's put it that way. How has the involvement of OEMs changed the way uh, you've developed the platform? Like, are they, have they asked specific questions where they're like, yeah. you know, we're looking for this or how, how has that changed the way you guys analyze your data?
2: You know, um, it's really interesting um, what the OEMs have done for us. Uh, One, they've been great partners in terms of evangelizing, um, getting the word out, getting people to understand the power of data, legitimizing this um, data game tracking movement in golf. Uh, But beyond that, I would say we've learned so much from them uh, because these are companies, some of them have been around um, for Five, ten times longer than we've been around. Um, and so, what they're looking for is really performance data on their clubs. They want to know, like when, or balls or whatever, like when, when they build a product, how does it actually perform in the hands of a 15 handicapper in actual playing conditions? Um, and so, I think there are like few things that I've shared with um, journalists. So, I, I, I don't want to obviously share any confidential information, but what, what I will say. Is we've learned how important it is for the golf industry to know what the golf is actually doing on the golf course because it informs club design. Like one simple example I'll give is Ping that they've already shared, where um, the fitting for wedges used to be full shots. Uh, But Ping looked at Arco's data and saw, you know, like um, 40 yards is where the most utilized distance for a wedge is. Um, and so there not only is fitting changing based on that, they're optimizing clubs to be based on that. Because if you're hitting a shot with a wedge from 40 yards, say three times as often as a full shot, that club should be optimized for that shot. Um, and so, so I think it's bringing like this data, what we're learning is it's bringing reality into club design, um, both from a utilization standpoint and a performance standpoint. It'll do it'll have the same impact, I'm sure, as we expand on golf balls, it'll have the same impact on anything like golf shoes, anything related uh to the golfer that impacts their performance.
1: Okay. So we, we've talked we've talked big, big sense now. Let's get uh let's get real specific to you.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. Um do,
1: do you have your own example of where you've been able to utilize data going from, you know, even before when you started just you know, you tracked your putts, you tracked your greens hit. You weren't really on like, there wasn't really anything to gain. Now that you have access to this data, how have you seen like a specific, have you seen a specific improvement in, in your golf game? You were like, you know, yeah. I look back at so many rounds and like this helped me.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I would say just starting off, like I'll say I've gone from like a seven handicap when I started to like a plus two, uh, with maybe like, I'm not saying that people shouldn't take lessons. I've only taken three over that time frame. Um And That that, that's just because I'm somewhat busy running this company and stuff, and I haven't had the time, but I do want to take more lessons to get even better. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Uh, I'm saying I've been able to improve simply based on this data and a couple of really expert lessons. And the insights that I found very early on, the first insight that I found was I was spending a lot of time because I was looking at my number of putts per round and I was spending a lot of time and wasting a lot of time practicing putting. Um, And once I saw once we launched strokes gained for your entire um, game, I saw it was actually my approach game that was costing me strokes Um, and I was missing right way more often than I thought I was. Um, And so I started working on my approach game and actually started working at just the realization I missed right and potentially aiming a little bit more left than where I thought those things helped me immediately. Um, And over time, like this. uh, So that was one example. I also know like which driver, which putter is best for me because I've, I know from a strokes gain standpoint, which putter helps me gain more strokes, which driver helps me gain more strokes. So my bag's optimized based on my on-course performance. Um, and then in addition to that, um, what I've realized and what a lot of Arcos users realize is your golf game isn't static. Um, just like your life, everything is changing, like you're getting older every single second, Um, Your life circumstances are changing from hanging out in Norwalk as a single guy to having three kids. Um, There's changes going on and those are reflected your emotional state's changing, your mental state's changing, your physical state's changing. That's reflected um, in your golf game. And so understanding what parts of your game are actually getting worse. Sooner you realize that the sooner you can address it and uh, the lesser of a problem it is to solve. And, that's what Arco is able to help me do is when I go, like I, I'll generally have like say 15 minutes before the round. I look at my last three rounds and where am I actually losing strokes? And those are the only things I'll practice or work on to get on the course, which helps me maybe offset. Like, I mean, maybe the general variance in golf is bigger and like, this helps me smooth it out and also puts me on a trajectory where I know that I'm spending time working on my weaknesses. And honestly that that's, helped me win like, my club championship over here at Tamarack Country Club. Um, I won it in 2021. I also won the medal play championship, so we have a match play and a medal play. Um, I was able to win both of them against D1 college golfers, and I never thought I could do that. I, not, I never thought like I had that in me, uh, but data... I, it, certainly, there's 0% chance that it will happen without the power of Arco's data. Um, and I hope to play um, in a USGA like mid-am or some a USGA championship uh, one day in my life. So that's my next goal. Nice job whipping those young kids butts, by the way.
0: <laughs> I was going to bring up his, his, his hardware, but I'm glad, I'm glad he did. Yeah. There's there, he's, he's got a plus handicap, but he's, he's also winning with a plus handicap. Um, Do you, do you think that
1: there's the, as far as missing, like getting that information and dialing in more specific, like you talked about before, like putts, I think, it's kind of one of those weird things where you can talk about putts and tracking putts, but now like uphill versus downhill versus left to right and mm-hmm. right to left. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. think that's something that's going to be incorporated into like, absolutely. the possibility?
2: I, absolutely. It, I think like when you look at um the trajectory of Arcos and in general data capture and data analysis, both of those are ramping up pretty fast. So over time we're going to introduce, I think like there's going to be, like right now, we, we probably don't even think about the kind of data that might influence things and is going to be captured. And there are a lot of things we capture which we don't expose and don't analyze. Like are you look what happens when you're looking directly into the sun? How does that impact your performance? Um, uh, but I think when you look at the trajectory, like health data is going to be incorporated, um, whether it's through HealthKit or Whoop or whatever, I, I can just see that happening. Um, similarly, um, golf courses are getting 3D mapped. Um, that's happening at a greater scale. And eventually we're going to integrate that, incorporate all of that. Um, so um, so I think what you're saying is a no-brainer. I don't know when it will happen, but there is no doubt in my mind that that will happen. And th- that will give deeper and deeper insights. Like, okay, you miss short putts that are left-to-right breaking downhillers. And by the way, those are probably harder. And Strokes Gain is going to adjust based on that. So I think the analysis and the insights are going to get deeper and deeper and deeper as time progresses. And our job is, and with this round of latest round of financing that we've done, um, I believe it's going to accelerate all of this so that golfers across the world can get access to those insights sooner than they would have otherwise had.
0: So this is a gear podcast. So when I heard you mention how the data has helped shape the gear in your bag it made me wonder like what what are those changes how how did the data help help you know make adjustments to your gear and what specifically were those adjustments adjustments that you did make
2: sure so i'll talk about a couple of specific examples um i had two drivers uh, i won't name brands but um i had two drivers one newer one one older one and Um, the newer one performed better in the simulator. Uh, But when I was going out on the golf course, um, those results weren't being replicated. I was actually having, what was happening was my um, distance was actually longer with the new one on the good hits, but on the miss hits, it was really bad. Um, And um, so that was like eye opening. And then I went and got fitted for another driver that wasn't as long, but the miss hits were at least uh, on the surface less forgiving. And I saw then I was able to do a proper analysis. I was actually able to compare for each one of the drivers. Now I have three. Then I have three drivers: my old one, new one, and a new new one. And I saw like my strokes gained on the new new one was three quarters, like points. I'm gaining 0.7 strokes better, like more than the other two drivers. Uh, in fact, my second new driver that I had, which with miss hits were bad, was costing me. It was wor- while it was longer, it was worse for me from a scoring standpoint than my previous driver. Um, and so so I would say not only was I actually optimized uh, from a scoring perspective, but knowing that is actually really powerful uh, because it gives you the confidence like, okay, I have the best equipment for me to perform my best. And then similarly, I did the same thing with my putter. I got fit for um, two other brands putters and I put all three in play over like five rounds each. And then I was able to analyze data and know which one is actually the best putter for me and it actually helped me with my club championship um and knowing those things having that confidence like this is actually the best for your scoring you won't just simply get that answer through like a simulated fitting uh uh <clears throat> session i think it has to be more and by the way all fitting companies we've partnered with um club champion um and txg and they all believe the same thing like fitting isn't a one-time like you come in and you're done go ahead it's it's more of a relationship like once once they fit you in a simulated environment they want to see how is that replicating to the actual game environment and play environment and is it working and if it's not they want to pull you back and reassess you and that's so those are two specific examples um i'll give you one other example which was my um I, my eight iron uh, was my strokes gained per shot on my eight iron, which we show in the app. You can go in to your club's page in Arcos and we tell you like, which are your best and worst performing clubs and how good and how bad. My eight iron was way worse for some reason, it was like a real anomaly, way worse than my six, seven iron and nine iron pitching wedge. And I was like, hmm, wonder what's going on. And I was practicing and then I took it um, into club champion and they saw that my um, lie angle on that was off by two degrees compared to the rest of the back and I would I that blew my mind because I never even thought like that something like that could be off but turns out when you keep your clubs in the trunk of your car and it's winter and then it's summer and then you're hitting so many balls off mats on the range and things like that those are impacts that can move stuff around and I learned at that point like the PGA Tour pros actually get their loft and lie angles checked essentially every week because they can see a half a degree movement and um, and so like data showed me, here's one club that's slightly off, got it fixed, got, but that was really, really interesting. Those are like, then those kinds of examples keep happening.
1: And this now, is I'm just going to tell you really quickly, this yeah. is as a club nerd, this is why I own my own my loft <laughs> machine. It's right <laughs> behind me. And I
2: always check my lies and loft because something's off. It can't just be me all the time. <laughs> but I mean, it was fascinating that it shows up in your performance, in your data. And like, like eventually, I mean, talking about Arcos, like where data insights are going to go. We want to build tools. where All of a sudden we start seeing your dispersion patterns change on one club. That's like, which today we don't expose, but like we can certainly do that. And we will, where then we can point out like, hey, maybe go get this checked by your fitter or at your club or wherever.
0: This is more of a a comment than a question. But as you're talking about this, um, we started a few years back conducting robotic testing with golf laboratories. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're hitting all the latest product and conducting nine point face mapping across the entire driver face. And we're able to see where the drop offs exist in terms of the mishits, mm-hmm. you know, high toe, low heel. But the reason I'm pointing this out is because I think this is a great blueprint for, for people out there who are listening. You know, we, we provide the analysis so that you can go and test. But, but as Sal's talking about, Arcos provides a great tool here where you can conduct your on course testing and see how those drivers perform and what what your strokes gained are similar to what you're talking about here. I mean, this is, this is what golfers are constantly asking is which driver is best for me. And there are ways, like there's ways to get the the data to figure out which drivers you want to test. Then you can take them on the golf course and Arcos can help you vet those drivers, but it it is, it's the future for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about the The tour side. How many guys out on tour are are currently using Arcos to kind of help shape their game?
2: So currently, we don't sponsor any players, uh, but with the PGA Tour partnership, uh, it's not to say that things will not change. I've seen um, and heard of players using it. Like I've seen it on TV with sensors and in U.S. Open, uh, but obviously that's something because we don't have a partnership with anybody uh, formally. So I can't share names and take credit.
0: Gotcha. Um, so you just finished another round of strategic funding. And the, the names that I see on this list are, are all the heavy hitters. Uh, the PJ Tour, Ping, TaylorMade, Cobra Puma, Topgolf Callaway. It makes me wonder, what does the future of Arcos look like with with these brands backing your technology?
2: Yeah, I mean it is it is a unique moment in um, golf's history where like all these huge brands and names, like literally I would say the biggest brands in golf have gotten behind a technology um anywhere, like let alone Arco. So so it is like it is very exciting and energizing for us as a team that this is happening. Um and it does like I would say like it does two things. One, it sends a message. Um, to the industry, to everybody, to golfers, um, on the importance of on-course data capture, game tracking. How? What? Why is it so important? Why are these brands investing in us, partnering with us? Because everybody understands the power of this data. So I think it elevates our vision, or mission, or purpose, um, and that's really important. And w- what does it mean for Arcos, or business? Like we're, we're, these are these are our partners. These are the people that we're working together to build Arcos bigger with. Um, So I think it's it's just a great thing. We're very fortunate. We're very lucky uh, that our partners are investing in us. And it further aligns, I would say, our incentives or um, values or mission or vision, like the path that we're going on. Um, And I think what it serves to do is, as I said earlier, like, accelerate all the things all the tools all the benefits we can bring to the average golfer out there.
0: So there's been a lot of collaboration between Arcos and and a lot of the major OEMs that I just mentioned but what about possible collaboration with the tour in the future is that something that you could could see happening down the road?
2: Yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot of cool things that are going to happen because when you look at it I mean um on the surface the PGA Tour really started tracking like game tracking with shot link in 2003. Well before anybody ever knew like what this would result in. Um, and so in a sense, um, this is now the PGA tours expanding that from the top 150, 200 golfers in the world to like the opportunity being there for 60, 70 million golfers that are out there in the world to be able to track their data and the form and the shape that this partnership is going to take. I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting. Um, and like without really, I mean, there'll be a few more announcements that are going to be coming in terms of what we're going to do together. Uh, but I, I can certainly say that, you know, maybe I'll give you one little tidbit, which is it's really interesting, also unique. When, when I played college tennis, and I know there probably wasn't a single shot that I hit From the same position that I could say was like better than Agassi's or Roger Federer's shot, like, but in golf, like in every round, I would say there's probably a shot or more that I hit that are better than PGA Tour average shots. It won't be the proportion of those shots not gonna be high. So, how cool will it be that if if we start sharing? And emphasizing those positive moments where, like, somebody has like hits a great shot, and we can tell them, like, "Hey, that's a top ten percent PGA Tour shot." Things like that. So, golf's unique in that um, we have these amazing moments of brilliance that are as good as some of the best human beings on the planet. Um, and so, like, starting to expose some of that, being able to also then compare yourself to PGA Tour pros and understand how much better they are than you on average, not on any given shot. Uh, is also remarkable, so I think like that perspective will also be good for the fan and the golfer. Start helping manage expectations a little bit better, as you're talking about, as Lou Stagner talks about. Um, so there's going to be a lot of, I think, really, really interesting, cool things that are going to go both ways, both for the fan and the golfer. It's, it's always the that. joke
1: during the. It makes me think of like the joke during the Olympics when like people you realize how good they all are. It's always you always hear someone say they just need to stick an average person into every one of these sports. And just watch and see like how far ahead like the swimmer finishes before yeah, the, the average person just like, finally catches up, or like the sprinting and all that stuff. Because it do. is true, right? Like, how do you compare against the best athletes in the world? The difference is golf does have that opportunity where it's like I hit my my wedge from 100 yards inside a foot. You know, yeah. it doesn't happen every time, but you know, it doesn't happen every time for tour players. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, gives you that graphic, gives you that visual representation. Yeah, I think exactly. that's funny.
0: They do that. One of my favorite things about the NFL combine is they do the run, rich, run rich Eisen from the NFL network and they have him run the 40 yard dash. And then they kind of, kind of <laughs> superimpose his, his <laughs> he's running against the fastest guys crazy. to show you how, how slow awesome. he really is. It's such a great, such a great moment during the combine because again, it just goes to show you how, how incredible these athletes are and yeah things that they can do that the average, you know, runner, golfer can't do. Anyway, um, so we've seen a a major rise in in the gamification of sport. I think about like TGL now, that's going to be coming out here in in a few years. And it makes me wonder, where where do you see Arcos fitting in with this whole rise in in gamification? So,
2: I mean, I think what I will say to that is, we're focused right now on helping the golfers get better, uh, but we're not. We don't lose like we don't lose sight of the fact that we all play the game to enjoy it, to have fun. Um, and so I think we want to do. We don't want to do gamification in a way which doesn't feel authentic to the sport. Um, and we believe there are going to be opportunities down the road where we, I mean, might not be the traditional sense of gamification, but certainly um, adding a layer of fun through this layer of data to the game is something that we think about. Um, and I think we'll have a role to play in it. Uh, there, there are going to be things that we can do that otherwise are not possible. Um, and I don't know what those will be uh, because there's so many way directions we can go in terms of where it can go. But I do believe that layer of data is going to add a level of fun in a way where we want to do it. We're very sensitive. We, I mean, One of the things we don't want to do is just do a whole bunch of different things. The hardest thing... Um, in building products is um, saying no to a thousand ideas, you know, and picking the ones that the few that really you think matter uh, that are going to change hopefully the trajectory, not just of the business, but of how um, data takes root in in the game of golf. And that's what we keep doing.
0: We haven't spent a ton of time talking about the, the Arcus Caddy app. Which to me is just such a such a cool piece of tech because it offers so many things. We've talked about the strokes gain, but you have an AI powered rangefinder. You also have the smart club distances, which I love because golfers, if you ask them how far they hit their, you know, five iron or their seven iron, this this really gives them like an accurate number for what they they truly hit these. But I want to know for for you, which which of these features is your favorite in, in the Arcos Cadillac?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say which one's my favorite. It's like asking between, like, which one's your favorite of the favorite three <laughs> <laughs> So I I find, all, like, we will only, in my opinion, we'll only put things in the app if we truly believe that they're, I mean, that they're, like, we'll treat them like our children. Like, they, these are the most important things to be there. Um, and so I really can't pick any one of them. I will say they're all equally important, but they serve different purposes. When I get a new set of clubs, say a new set of irons, uh, I probably get it every three years. Um, and as my um, health changes, as my swing changes, like I really need to know where where my uh, what my distances are. So I would say that's really important from that perspective. Um, the strokes gained is really important for me from as I said, like the 15, 20 minutes of five before a round, what should I be working on? I need to know that. Otherwise I'm wasting my time. Like I don't have a lot of time. So I, I want to do that. And then as I'm playing, um, I, I'm using the AI caddy, the range finder to understand the effect of wind. You understand the effect of elevation change. I really like it's hard to play without it. Um, and in fact, so we have two uh, modes um, in Arcus. One is tournament mode. One is non-tournament mode. Uh, which is non you're conforming US, like think of it as slope versus not slope in the laser rangefinder, And the slope mode, which I'll play a lot on, is almost like a training ground for my tournaments. Uh, so I start understanding like when the wind is seven miles an hour and it's 30 feet downhill shot and winds like at this angle, like what's the impact having? Like that's, you start learning. Uh, and that's extremely important. In fact, for my tournament rounds, I'll plan because I'll like I can look at the app and start the round in advance, and I can understand like what are the adjustments, so I can note them down beforehand. I'm um, actually like I want to convince the U.S. here to allow it, because like the top players in the world, they have access to all that information, while it might not be in an app real time. Um, they have people who've done all that work for them. Um, I actually uh, it should be uh, slope and all that, in my opinion, should be allowed in actual tournament competition.
1: I was gonna say I like I like that because I mean I was out uh, again I'm as a user of the app I love the idea of being on the course and like getting that information and I was looking at it I was actually I was playing my wife and my I was playing my daughter so I was showing her I'm like this is the hole we're playing and like look there's wind and all this stuff and it's it is fascinating because the real time adjustment I think is something that when you have like you do have a caddy with you if you're at like a nice club or you're you know you're out and you're a professional and you haven't have the access to that right like yeah. you have that information which I think is so fascinating now we've talked about so much on the, on the software side of things and, and AI and the caddy and all these other like different elements, but how do you see the hardware becoming more streamlined? Cause I can, I can think back and I always use this as as a, like uh, the way I've seen it evolve really is like when I think it was Cobra had it in the driver first mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I worked big box store. So it was like, try That's this cool. out, get it your phone. You just see how far you hit your driver, right? Mm-hmm. Like it told you how far you hit your driver yeah, and that, that to me was, it was a cool thing. I was like, it was the thing that people asked about and like, there's been this huge evolution of, we've seen it incorporated into grips. We have the sensors that screw in. So if you're a gear nut and you change your seven iron or you change your three wood, you can go and Mm -hmm. do all that tracking quite easily. Now the link. What is the next step of the progression of the hardware to incorporate it into equipment where you think that you're seeing how it's even more streamlined, how it's even more, I don't want to say easier because it's already very easy to use, but how do you think that next step is going to be? It's where like, you don't even really think that you have it with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd like Maybe I'll say one, we will be making a few hardware related announcements over the next couple of months. So I don't want to steal the thunder on that. My marketing team is going to be really upset with me if I do that. But like, I, I will say, you know, um, right now, based on um, the USGA um, rules and regulations, uh, we can only put uh, an accelerometer into the sensor and... I think the USGA hopefully will allow us to put a gyroscope in the sensor too because then we can do interesting things. Like when you miss, like let's say there's 10, let's look at like your five worst shots in a round where you lost, lost the most strokes. We could tell you what you did on that swing. What what was the reason that that shot ended up where it did? Um, so we can tie like cause and effect essentially um, and right now we show you exactly where you need to work on, but we want that, to, that can t- close the loop with what actually happened, which would be really valuable for instructors or fitters, um, or club manufacturers, the entire industry, honestly, like, Hey, th- these are the outcomes and this is what's happening on the course. Um, and so I can see, um, golf evolving in that direction where the USGA, uh, hopefully allows us to put gyroscopes in the sensors that can allow us to. I mean, for people who don't know what an accelerometer or gyroscope is, accelerometer doesn't allow us to measure um, how your swing is progressing in, say, three or six dimensions. Uh, with a gyroscope, you can do that, and that will then give us your path, plane, things like that, what your club's doing, and uh, allow us to further analyze what you're doing as you play. So that's something I think about.
1: See, we always think about yeah. how like the USGA conforming list shows golf clubs, but I can only imagine like the tech side and the conversations that are, that evolve from wanting to create just, just more information for the end user. Right. Cause that's really yeah. what it comes down to is it's less so about the, you know, gaining an advantage just on a single shot. It's more about after the fact, how can we learn, how can we understand and how can we improve? Because to your point, and I think it's a great point, like you talked about how you haven't had too many like organized lessons in the last number of years, but you've seen improvement just by using information. And I think for golfers, and you know, I'll plug something I wrote about like like a couple of weeks ago at golf.com was like, I play less golf now than ever. And I was like, how do I suck less now than I did before? Mm-hmm. And part of it is data, but also it's you know understanding all these different elements of you know, where do I lose shots? How do be I be more you know, efficient? How do yeah, I f-
2: with your time? Yeah. Be
1: more efficient basically, right? Like, you know, if, if you if you're cooking meals, It's much easier if you just buy the chopped vegetables and buy the vegetables that you got to cut up yourself, right? Now, in this case, I just you know when I go play golf, I I need to have chopped vegetables ready because I don't have the time to do all the chopping before. But I want to be able to cook that meal that still tastes good at the end of the day, and that just means for me it's shooting a lower score.
0: Um, But that's it. That's
1: it. That's all I got for questions, Uh, Jonathan. Do you have anything else?
0: No. This was a lot of fun, Sal. Uh, I'm pretty sure we could we could go for another hour, but I'm going to let you get back to to overseeing all of the uh, the work that's being done at your your home course.
2: At Tamarack Country Club, we're going through a master plan restoration. Very excited about that. So. Yeah.
0: It was really exciting to have you on the pod. Thanks again for taking the time. And congrats again on all the success that Arcos has had in, in less than a decade. It's it's truly incredible.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan and Brian, for having me. It was great chatting with you guys. Take
0: care. And thanks again to Sal for the time. That'll do it for episode 210 of Fully Equipped. If you want more gear goodness, check us out on the social channels. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as all for listening. The whole crew will be back next week.